Thank you, Sue. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Welcome to Myers Park United Methodist Church on this 17th Sunday after Pentecost. My name is Uyan Kim, one of the pastors here. We're so grateful that we can gather together uh, to worship and then praise our Lord and Savior Jesus. I didn't know this. This is the first Sunday Evan's back playing the organ. Am I correct, Evan? So Evan's back as well. We're grateful for that after a couple of weeks of being away. Yeah. As always, we welcome all those who are in person, those of you joining us online, wherever you may be. Let us know who you are, how it can be in prayers for you and connect with you. You can do so by using the hospitality pads at the end of your pews. There's the QR code at the back of your bulletin. Uh, for those of us online, you can there, click on the virtual hospitality link. There's a little place where you can let us know of how we can pray for you if you want us to get in touch with you as well. Uh, grateful as always to be joined by my friend and colleague, Pastor Bill. What else is going on today? Well, it's fall, y'all, so there's lots of good things going on in the life of the church. And I'm going to call your attention to one. It's called Journey Around the World. You know, next Sunday, October 1st, it's a uh, family worship day, which means children will be coming into the sanctuary. We don't have the uh, Sunday school, but during the 945 hour over in Jubilee Hall, you can learn all about the different missions that our church is involved in around the world. There's food, lots of learning experience. Come join that 945 Jubilee Hall um, next Sunday. Now let us uh, continue. Uh, to prepare our hearts for morning worship.
affirmation of faith this morning is the Apostle Creed. It's numbered 881 in the back of your hymnals. Let us unite in this historic confession of our Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascendeth into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I invite you to turn in your worship bulletin to the prayer confession, which is printed there. Let us confess our sins before God and one another. Let us pray. Gracious God, we carry anger in our hearts we cannot release. Our past regrets continue to shame us with pain. Scarcity binds our hearts from generosity and growth. Give us courage to choose you in the face of temptations. Set us free for joyful obedience and faithful witness. Open us to a future of peace, hope, and love with you. Amen. And my friends, hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love towards us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
Gospel reading is Matthew chapter 20, beginning with the first verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and pay them their wage, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the householder, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me to a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last shall be first, and the first last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Duke football is 4-0. <laughs> 
uh, one of my good friends who actually stood at my wedding contacted me recently and asked me, hey, do you remember Uyan or last year at Duke what the football record was? And I, you know, eternal optimist that I am, I said, we won two games. He said, no, we won one game. The great thing about winning one game is you can only go up from there. The very next year, we won zero game. So the great thing about winning zero game is that you can only go up from there. The very next year, we won one game. This has nothing to do with the sermon. I just could not help myself but to just bring that to your attention. So this is a very familiar passage for us. This is something that we learn in Sunday school as a child. Many of us uh, who've had kids, what's the first word out of our kids' mouths? Like dada, mama, hi, bye. Another word is more. What's the first sentence? What's the first kind of thought concept, complex thought that a child might convey? I've not done a, a formal research, but at least from my own children and some of the kids that I know, I, I, th I really think one of the first thought, kind of complex thought concept that our kids convey is no fair. No fair. Not a complete sentence, but a thought nevertheless. No fairs. So what is fair. Researchers have long known that we human beings, we're hardwired to compare ourselves to other groups and, and tribes. Psychologist and a primatologist, Franz De Waal, uh, he writes that even primates have a keen concept of fairness, and they equate such fairness to their concept of justice. What's fair? What's fair? I've sat with a couple many years ago uh, who got pregnant unplanned, and they were in crisis. The very same year, just a few weeks later, I remember sitting down with a different couple whose lives were in crisis because they had yet another miscarriage, been trying to have a child for six years. What's fair? I've sat in hospital rooms uh, with jubilation and celebration for a miracle cure for an illness for their loved one. The very same church in the very same hospital, I've sat with families in tears mourning as they said their last goodbye to their loved one for the same illness, yet for them there was no cure. What's fair? I know ones who've worked extremely hard to, uh, to provide for their family, to have the type of retirement perhaps many of us dream of. In the same church, I knew plenty of folks who worked just as hard, even harder, uh, to, to no avail, that they would be working until the, the day that they die. There would be no retirement for those folks. What's fair? And today we have this parable. There's a householder, landowner, master, depending on the translation that you read, uh, goes out to uh, meet workers, we're told. Goes out at different times of the day, early in the morning, 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., 5 p.m., agrees upon a wage, a denarii. It's a single day's wage for a single person. 
It harkens back to the concept of manna, God providing for us, for you, each and every day. And we come to know at the end of the workday, the wages are given, uh, and it starts with those who came last at 5 p.m. They receive a denarii each, 3 p.m., same wage, noon, 9 a.m., early morning workers. And as those who arrived early witnessed this, they grumble. They grumble. Grumbling against God has been one of the favorite pastimes of God's people. It happens from the very beginning in Genesis, Exodus. Jonah is another very good example of grumbling against God. Uh, we see in parable of the lost sons, grumbling against the father. A couple of decades ago, in the 90s, there was a lot of, this is when we used to watch television, prime time, dateline, 2020, all those night newsly shows. Yeah, I, I remember watching really the s same story but different details. They would have specials on inmates who've done horrendous crimes and they're in jail, either on death sentence or uh, life in prison without possibly a parole. And I remember seeing a couple of shows where they did a case study of these inmates uh, who converted to Christianity, those on death row, days before, weeks before, perhaps even moments before, uh, converted, became disciples of Christ, proclaimed Jesus as Lord. And I remember watching that, hearing that, and I felt a particular kind of way. Couldn't figure out what it was until much later. And that feeling was simply this. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. I didn't like at the possibility of these inmates with their last minute, last moment conversion having any and all possibility of perhaps being at the same place in the afterlife as someone like me. It bothered me. So-called hardworking and good people have always asked with parables like these, what kind of God would offer the same wage to those who have earned it as those who have not? as those who've showed up at 5 p.m. It turns out our God is a lousy bookkeeper. No. Jesus' bookkeeping violates our own sense of right and wrong. It violates our sense of how we would run the world if we had the choice. It violates our sense of fair wage and just compensation for work done. So this parable calls us to look at ourselves honestly and lovingly as God may look at us. This is about four years ago, uh, one of our senior pastors' Bible studies on Wednesdays, it, we looked at the same passage, and Dr. Howe mentioned <clears throat> one of the fallacies of Christians, people like us, reading passages like these, is that we, for whatever reason, almost always assume that we represent the early morning workers. Why is that? 
why do we assume that we're the early morning workers? There is a particular arrogance to me. I've always looked to myself as the early morning, at least 9 a.m. My gosh, right? We were at church at, what, 7 o'clock, 7.30 at the latest? That's way before 9. But perhaps, but perhaps there are those others who may look to me and view me as a 5 p.m. worker and not as the 9 a.m. worker as I assume myself to be. Perhaps that's also true with you. We learn from today's parable that this householder, this landowner, he begins by, and this is another detail that we often fail to notice, he goes out to, to, to see about workers. What are all of them doing before the landowner goes, before the householder goes? Every one of them, we read, are there standing in idleness. All of them, regardless of the time in which the landowner finds them, they're all standing around, laying idle, with nothing to do, without direction in the world. We easily forget, we easily forget that whether it be early or late, they all used to be in the same place with the same problem. It is actually through the grace-filled initiative of the landowner, the householder, to invite them to work in the first place. The main engine for the work to be had is not when they showed up, but that the master called them in the first place. So instead of then rejoicing at the privilege of being called, the very workers, especially those who showed up early, are consumed by the envy rather than being thankful. So the master asks, are you envious? Are you upset? The Greek translation says, is there evil in your eyes because I am generous? And what happens with Jonah and the Ninevites? Jonah is upset. Why? Because God dares to forgive and save the Ninevites. What's the issue with parable of the lost sons from Luke? Why is the older son so upset with his father? Because the father dares to open the doors to his home and welcomes and forgives the younger brother, his younger son. Why are these vineyard workers so upset? Because the landowner dares to provide a day's wage, regardless of when and where the workers come from. God does not reward us based on all what we deserve. It is not merit-based. It is not what we produce or don't produce. The very rewards that we receive is fundamentally the grace of God, and by definition, it is unmerited, undeserved, unwarranted, regardless of when we show up to work. But instead, we would do well to remember that whether we're there to work or not, regardless of when we show up, without the master, without God who calls us, it is all for naught. And a single denarii is enough, regardless of when we show up. God, justice, 
is rooted not in fairness, but in generosity. Anne Lamott writes, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but does not leave us where it found us. Wonderful happen, wonderful things can happen when we recognize God's grace, particularly when we open our eyes to see that perhaps we are not all the early workers as we first thought we were. Perhaps we are 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., in all likelihood, all of us, all of us are really 5 p.m. workers who shows up at the 11th hour. And when we recognize this, it is quite transformative not only in ways of how we connect and relate with God, it is transformed in the ways in which we relate and connect with our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, strangers in our midst. So how about we do this? Can we be, as the people of God, can we live our lives individually and as a community of God? Can we live gratefully together? Yeah. Whenever we feel the temptation to grow in resentment for whatever reason? Can we invite thanksgiving into our hearts? Can we remind ourselves and remind each other that perhaps we all of us are the ones who showed up at the 11th hour and that our God is gracious to call us and receive us and give us work to do anyways? And in the end provides enough grace for you and for me Salvation, grace. For all of us, we were all once lost, but now we are found. We were all once blind, regardless of when we opened our eyes. The point is, without God, we would not have restored sight. And it is God who calls us to do good, God's good work, regardless of when we are called. It is good that we are called. We are thankful that we are called. Amen. Friends, would you join me in a time of prayer? Let us pray. O most holy one, we gather in your presence again this morning to behold your majesty, to draw near to your greatness, and to offer our thanks and praise. You are the source of everything and anything that is good. You are the cornerstone of our community. You are the strength of our spirits. And so we bless you and praise you Never let us lose sight of your justice and your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Merciful God, while we place our trust in your eternal justice, we are most grateful for your unending mercy. We dare to appeal to some sense of fairness when in truth we should humble ourselves in deep gratitude for your generosity. We do so many things that disappoint you and that embarrass us. We focus on ourselves, we neglect our neighbors, and we ignore you. 
We're afraid that if we don't take care of ourselves, no one else will. Forgive our fear of the future, our lack of trust in you, our failure to live by faith, confident in your goodness. Create in us clean hearts and renewed spirits and restore our joy in your salvation. Sustain us in our willingness to follow you. Lord, in your mercy. On this morning, we lift up into the light of your presence the friends and families of Paul Gibson and Sharon High, who have finished their course in faith and now rest from their labor. Comfort them and grant to all of us the unshakable hope, the, the assurance that you are with us, holding us close to your own heart, even in the face of death. When the difficulties of life envelop us like a fog, when discouragement and disappointment cloud our view, help us to see you in our midst. Lord, in your mercy. Healing God, we pray for your groaning world. Let us hear your groaning along with us. Turn our groaning into action as we join you in caring for those living in poverty or oppressed by violence and war or abuse of any kind. Sustain and strengthen all who work for peace and justice, who strive to turn the minds of others to good and not evil. Use us to restore, respect, and honor the dignity of all people, for we each carry your holy image. Above all, grant us the deep joy found only in you, the joy that leads to peace beyond all understanding, which can never be taken away. We ask all this in the name of your Son and our Savior Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as we prepare to bring to God his tithes and our offerings, I want to thank you for your continued generosity, your generosity on behalf of a generous God, for your generosity through him sustains all the wonderful programs and all the wonderful ministries that we offer through this church that enables so many people to meet the living God.
generous God, it is a blessing to reflect your generosity into the world. Receive these gifts, bless them, multiply them, and use them to bring your kingdom to be here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Be grateful. Be grateful. Be grateful. May the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore.